Last year, on a Sunday afternoon, my eldest son was playing on the footpath of the skateboard and somehow got his finger caught between the wheel and the footpath and the result was that the whole of the nail was ripped off his finger. And the doctor in casualty said that it looked grim for the nail. He was fairly sure that the nail bed had been ripped out. And whenever I tell this story to people, they do this. And they tuck their fingers under their arms to protect them. And and that's because really the fingers are some of the most sensitive parts of our body. There's so many nerve endings there. Well, the good news is that um, the uh, fingernail did grow back after all. And Julia, my wife, and I were very relieved. Uh, While we didn't know if the fingernail was coming back, we were very sad that um, our gorgeous, wonderful little Jack might have the smallest deformity, the slightest imperfection in him, flawed. Um, We just didn't like that. Which, of course, is nothing compared to the stories that we hear on the news and on the radio on a regular basis. Uh, At at about the same time that that happened to my little Jack, we heard about a a great white shark in Western Australia that took the leg off a boy. And uh, I was listening to that story in the shower one morning, Sunday morning, I think, and uh, I heard the, the mother of the boy being interviewed it was amazing. The thing that was amazing was how upbeat she was. She, she really was upbeat about this whole thing. Um, basically, she was saying it could have been much worse. And she still had her boy. Even though he was missing a leg, she still had her boy. Well, at about the same time that my Jack lost his fingernail, and that boy in Western Australia lost his leg. On a Tuesday night at cricket practice, something far worse happened. A 13-year-old boy in Canberra died. His heart just stopped beating. And up to that point, uh, he was a healthy, active boy who enjoyed life. He was a great reader of books. He was a lover of sports. He was a loving big brother. He was the eldest son of good friends of ours, and he was my godson. He was a terrible tragedy. By the time his parents got there, uh, he was grey, wasn't looking good, and they pronounced him dead in the hospital. His parents told me afterwards that the family gathered around and the, the three remaining children, parents all hugged him, kissed him goodbye, They told me that he just lay there in the hospital bed. There was nothing missing. His legs, his fingers, fingernails, all there. He was a beautiful boy. But there was something missing. He wasn't there. Paul had gone. When our Jack lost his fingernail, we knew that fingernail or no fingernail, we still had Jack. Uh, We had his personality. We had his very person. That mother from Western Australia lost the leg of her son, but she did not lose her son. And the perfect body of my friend's son just reminded them of what they did not have any longer. What a horrible mystery we live with. What are we? We're flesh and blood. But we all know that the flesh stuff is not us. There's something more. Hermit crabs live in shells and when they grow too big they move out and they find a bigger shell. So what happens to us when we die? 
Right now, the experience of reality for all of us is that the universe is made of stuff, material. And these are the boundaries that God has set for us to live in and what extraordinary boundaries they are, especially this morning when you look at the the world that we live in, colour, form, texture, scale. Think of the scale of the universe, the vastness of the universe, the galaxies that are there and then the galaxies that are inside the molecular structure. Think about light and dark. The universe is a physical realm that is majestic in complexity and form. But I want to say this morning that the wonder of the universe is not the universe itself, it's you and it's me. It's the watcher of the universe, the fact that we can think about these things because the universe doesn't think about these things, it just is. It's us humans, really, that are are the marvel of the universe. Uh, The other week I wandered through a park near where I live and uh, it was dog time. And that's the time when people are allowed to bring their dogs out I don't know what it's like here in Dubbo, but dog people, uh, I'm a bit of a dog person, I like my dog. Anyway, I was walking through this park, and it's dog time. And as I say, dog people in, the city, in Sydney are persecuted. You're not allowed to have your dog off the leash. Only have them off the leash certain time in certain places. It was, it was off, off the leash time in this park. And there were big ones, there were little ones. You can imagine all these dinks, these double-income, no-kid types who've got their surrogate children with them, their little... Fluffy poodles and their big, you know, Dobermans. There's an amazing scene there before me, full of life and colour. And I just thought, I'm going to walk right through the middle of this park and just experience all this exuberance. And all around me there were people relaxing and playing and the sun was shining brilliantly and the colour of the greens on the trees and on the grass was just luminous. You know, colour, greens are wonderful colour. It was very satisfying. And suddenly this Labrador comes straight for me, running straight up towards me, and it stops right in front of me, looks up at me as though waiting for something. And then in the next split second, uh, the the rubber toy that its owner had thrown hit me in the head. (laughs) It's a very physical world that we live in, isn't it? So I kept walking. Another dog went chasing its ball, and it went bowling straight into this group of picnickers on on the grass, and... The owner was incredibly embarrassed, but the thing about dogs is they didn't get an embarrassment gene. They don't have one of those. And so he got his ball and headed off, wagging his tail off to his owner. See, the way we interact with each other is very physical, isn't it? We shake hands when we meet and greet greet each other. And and right now I'm buffeting your eardrums with sound waves, and you can do that to me later on, if you like, if you want to talk to me. Um... As I left the park, a man threw a stick and I thought, that's way too big for that stick, for that dog. That's way too big. It's a little Jack Russell. It was too big. Definitely too big. And this tiny little Jack Russell's trying to drag this huge stick towards its owner. You can picture it. Loyal things that they are. It's hard living in a physical world, isn't it? It's hard. As we strive and struggle with the physical stuff of the universe, trying to get it to behave itself and but it's worth it because the joys of physical stuff are immense. And, and really only because we're just so sensory as human creatures, aren't we? We're very sensory. We're, we're literally covered, imbued with senses that are able to apprehend and detect. So right now we can sense the humidity, we can sense the temperature and the sound waves and all of these things, just living life in this material world. I want to say that uh, at Christmas time, 
The challenge is to give presence that will provoke those senses as richly as possible. And friends, that is our challenge. I believe there are two shopping days left, or should I say one and a half. And uh, that is what your challenge is, to go out and find some Christmas presents that will challenge those senses. Because Christmas is a time really to celebrate the joy of living in a material world. The excitement of seeing that object wrapped under the Christmas tree, coloured paper, textured paper, and you ribbon on it and you grab the present, you try to feel what it is and imagine what it might be. And if you saw the skit last night, uh, you remember mum was hoping it was the cutlery set and it was the spanners. Oh dear. Then you get to open it. I wonder if this morning you thought I was going to tell you in some predictably Christian way that we're us Australians are terribly materialistic. We've got Christmas all wrong and materialism is a bad thing. Well, it really depends on your view of materialism, doesn't it? And maybe that's a talk for another day. But I cannot wait for my little Jack under the Christmas tree to open, a tr- open his presents and to see the look on his face and see him delight in this material world. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to embrace it while you can. While you can, which, of course, takes us back to that terrible mystery. As I drove down to Canberra the day I heard the news about my godson, I could not imagine what I would say to those parents. I'd known them for years. Uh, My wife, Julia, had flattered with Denise, and I couldn't imagine their pain. And when I walked in, they were very calm, and they'd finished crying at least for that day. And so I started mine. And I'll never forget the calm confidence that I found in that house. They were grief-stricken. Of course they were grief-stricken, but they knew where their son was. They knew where Paul was. How did they know? Because God sent Jesus into this material world to help them to know. It's why the message of Christmas is really all about the wonder of materialism. You see, the message of Christmas is that God clothed himself with flesh. God took on the mantle, the cloak of physicality that we just take for granted and that we all experience every day. God put himself inside the boundaries, the the parameters of physical existence that limit all of us. Somehow this infinite God constrained himself, restricted himself to the material world that he had created. And that's what our passage tells us today. And I want you to read it with me again with fresh eyes. You may have read it many times. You're very familiar with it. But I'd like you to read it again with fresh eyes and think about the wonder of what God has done in coming into this world. It's Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And if you uh, don't have a physical copy of God's word next to you, you might like to move physically to the next person closest to you has one and they might like to share their material version of God's word. Verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Why did Jesus put on flesh? Why did Jesus incarnate himself in human form, limit himself in the way that he did? As this passage tells us. Was it because the divine Godhead was curious to know what it was like to live as a man, just as I sometimes wonder what it might like to be to fly as a bird? Was, was that what was going on there? Did, did God want to know what it's like to throw a stick in the park for a dog? No, nothing of the kind. Jesus came into this world as a beautiful baby. He grew up before his family and his community and he grew up with a purpose. He came to do what the promised Christ or Messiah or anointed one, which is what those words mean, was destined to do. He came to die for the sins of his people. He came to die for your sin. That's why he came. He came to die for the bad things, the rebellious things that you have done. That is why Jesus came. Jesus' mission is all about his death. It's the end of his life that is the centre of his earthly mission. That's why he came. I don't want to say too many things from this passage this morning. I just want to point you really to a few things. Particularly I want to share and show with, with you the importance of the names that Jesus has. You see there in verses 22 and 23. Look at, look at these two great names. First one there in verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fill fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the child who is called God come amongst us. This is the child who when he was in the sandpit, his mum would call out, God who is amongst us, come, it's time to go. That's his name. God is with us. God is not disinterested. God is not hiding behind a distant galaxy playing a game of solitaire or something. He is with us. He's amongst us. He loves us. He's come amongst us. And I think this is one of the reasons that we can have great confidence about the future. That God entered our world gives us hope to know that we can enter his kingdom after we die. He came into our world to bring us into his kingdom. But you might, and 
rightly so, you, you might ask, why would he let us in? If you look into your heart and uh, have the most cursory look at who you are as a person and the thoughts that you have, the things that you've done, you would rightly wonder why he would let you in. And the answer to that question lies in the other great name this child has. The Christ child has another wonderful name. It's there a few verses back in verses 20 and 21. We're told what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him. This is all from God revealing through his angel who this child is to be and what he's to be called. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This great man who is God will save his people from their sins. Jesus, or literally Joshua, is what he'll be called. And in the Old Testament, Joshua, a different Joshua, led the Israelites across the River Jordan into the promised land of Canaan. And Jesus will lead us through this life, this material existence, to heaven, the promised heaven. This Jesus who was born into materialism, he was born a beautiful baby. His mother Mary would have treasured him and looked at all his fingers and toes as mothers do and marvel that they are all so perfect. And yet uh, he came to be disfigured. It's why he came. He came into this world to be disfigured. He came to be marred, to be crucified. And if you think about crucifixion, it's an awful disfigurement as the tendons pull out of the hands as you slump from the cross and then the spear in the side to finish you off. He came to die for us, for your sin to pay for it. That's why he came. And the same prophet Isaiah who is quoted here in verses 22 and 23 who predicted 700 years before Jesus came, predicted with um, astonishing accuracy, the kind of accuracy that give you goosebumps and the hair on the back of your necks will, will just rise as you consider that this man predicted with pinpoint accuracy all that Jesus would do, what he'd be like, predicted that the Christ would be pierced for our transgressions, crucified for our sins, the sin of the world God's son Jesus became human experienced real awful suffering for your sake that's why he came that's what Christmas is all about and then later God the father raised him from the dead Jesus rose from the dead and he was given a transformed glorious new body may seem harsh to say this, but my 13-year-old godson needed saving from his sin. His parents knew that. He had tantrums. He was disobedient like all kids. But this little boy had an abiding trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew his Bible. He prayed to God. And so when I arrived in their home in Canberra, that's why his parents sat there with hope and with confidence. And not once did I hear them ask the question, why? though I wouldn't have blamed them if they had have asked the question. These people 
knew that to be home with God is better and they trusted that Jesus was looking after their son even as they sat there and they're trusting that they will meet Paul at the resurrection clothed with a new body of new living eternal stuff. I met a man here on Tuesday night at Tuesday night church and he had elected to have his leg amputated because he'd been in a car crash and the foot had been damaged four years earlier. It just wouldn't work and he's had the whole leg below the knee chopped off. And if that man knows the Lord Jesus Christ, he will get a new leg when he gets to heaven. I don't know if you know much about the word Christmas. It has the word Christ and Mass. Mass is old Anglo-Saxon for festival. It's a festival about Christ. That's what it means. To celebrate Joshua or Jesus, the anointed one who takes sin away and leads us to a new physical existence whose hallmark is permanence and perfection. Where fingernails and whole legs and all that is needed for eternal life and health are safeguarded by the almighty, eternal and living God who sustains creation even as we sit here. A place infused with a light that's greater greater than the sunlight of an afternoon stroll in the dog park. A place where it's infused with the light of God himself. That is heaven. The light of God's presence. Will you make sure you're there? Please. I plead with you this morning. Will you make sure you're there in that place? Isn't it time you stopped living just for the material existence of this age and look forward to that eternal material existence? Maybe now it's time to leave behind the old shell and start life afresh with a new one, a new existence with God. Maybe this Christmas is the time to finally get to know Jesus just as my godson Paul did. He was only 13 and there's nobody in this room that I can see who's too young to know Jesus. I want to pray a prayer. And I want to pray a prayer to become a Christian. Uh, You heard from Wayne when I spoke to Wayne about how I became a Christian when I was 18. Well, I want to pray a prayer to become a Christian and maybe this morning is the time for you to do that. Maybe you've been putting it off. But you know, Christmas is a great time to start afresh. And I want to read the words of the prayer first so that I don't catch you by surprise. And then if you can agree with these words, maybe you pray them in your heart and make them, their, make them your words. Dear God, thank you for the beautiful world you've made. Thank you for Christmas Day, which reminds us of the great present you gave to us of Jesus all those years ago. Please forgive me for the life that I've led without you. Please help me to live with Jesus as the Lord of my life for the rest of this life and into the next age of eternity. If you want to pray that prayer, then now's a good time to do it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, thank you for the beautiful world you've made. Thank you for Christmas Day, which reminds us of the great present you gave to us of Jesus all those years ago. 
Please forgive me for the life I've led without you. Please help me to live with Jesus as Lord of my life for the rest of this life and into the next age of eternity. Amen.